This is the Powered Up Podcast, show number three. Here's the cool thing, and this is what I love. I'll come in and I say, guys, I got this really cool thing. I want to try it. And afterwards, I'll go, that sucked. I'm like, you know what? It sure did suck. But you know what? We tried it. So we just won't do it again, right? And then we'll do something new, and they'll go, that was really cool. I like that. And I'm like, me too. Let's do it again. That was fun. And so then your kids are, they're not a passive participate your class are active they're engaged welcome to a real world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students whether you're in pre-service learning new to the game or a seasoned veteran This is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Ken Ehrman, host of the Powered Up Podcast, and I am here with my co-host, Matt Mr. Let's Take a VR Tour Rogers. Matt, how are you today? <laughs> you know what? I haven't done a VR tour in quite a quite a little bit. Um, I am good. I am glad to be here with you. It has been crazy last few days, um, but I'm just excited to, to get a little, little extra juice, get powered up um, through our interview today. Absolutely. So question I want to throw your way is, what is an experience that you give to your students that most teachers or no one else that you know of gives to your students that you think changes their lives? Mm. Um, wow. What's been interesting is ever since we started this podcast, I've been taking little nuggets of either conversations with you or with our guests and trying different things in my classroom um, after being inspired from our our conversations. And I know I've mentioned this one, I mentioned it in our episode tonight. Uh, One of the things that I'm really proud to kind of stick to is this idea of student choice that I don't know how easy it is to roll out uh, in fourth grade or younger kids where um, I kind of, uh, allow the kids to go ahead and, and uh, utilize the materials they have. And if they're successful with that, uh, great. If not, then they have to restart and try through a different media. But uh, they end up making decisions of best tool, not um, what is the tool I need to learn. A lot of times I feel like a lot of people are, hey, we're going to focus on, oh, we're doing a poplet today and tomorrow we're going to do a um, Socrative quiz. You're going to make up your own quiz. And it's just, it's very tool driven, which I think our interview gets into um, quite a bit. I guess I, I will turn that back to you. Um, I know we're, we're at that midway point. What do you feel makes you stand out? What, what makes a difference that, uh, that will kind of linger forever? as much control as possible you and and some of our our friends would like to tease that the students did my job for me 
But I would legitimately ask myself at different times during the year, um, as often as I possibly could, what am I doing during my day that I shouldn't be doing and the students can do instead? And, you know, yes, it was like trying to get them to do my job, but it was really about creating that experience where they had total ownership. And I actually just listened to another podcast talking about finding your who's, not your how's. Don't find how to do it. Find who can do it for you or who can do it with you. And it was kind of it kind of hit me like it was the approach I kind of took with my students. So a, a concrete example of how I did this was in the elementary world, you have classroom jobs, sweep the floor, wipe the tables, take down the mail, that kind of stuff. I was terrible at remembering to get the kids to do it. I had charts. I had all the different things. And one, I was bad at doing it. And two, I didn't want to do it. I wanted to plan lessons. I wanted to plan projects. I wanted to focus on classroom. So the managers had to create a schedule. They had to make sure all the jobs were done. If the jobs weren't done, I went to the manager. I didn't look at the schedule. I went to the manager. And then students signed up to say, you know, I want to be floor sweeper. I want to be table wiper at lunch, that kind of stuff. And they could have as many jobs as they wanted. So they would earn ermine dollars. The managers would get a salary standard every week. And the individual jobs, they would get $1 per job. And I had kids that actually out-earned managers because they worked so much during the day. Mm. And we would just do like a, a silly auction at uh, winter break. And at the end of the year, I'd spend 40 bucks at Walmart, buy a bunch of junk, and they would just bid all their money on it. They could save their money in the first auction and save it for the end of the year. Um, and I even, after the first round of this, I hired an accountant who <laughs> kept track of everybody that did their job. And I had a Google sheet where each kid had an individual sheet connected and they would literally divvy out money and it would populate on a student's like bank account. Um, so it was just an example of how I took something that wasn't necessary for me to do. I did not go to college to give out classroom jobs and, and my district did not hire me to control that, but it created such a cool experience for the students where they learned, you know, if I work hard, I can do this. And I had kids that didn't sign up for jobs in the beginning of the year. And a month later they're saying, Hey, can I like, can I get some of these jobs? Cause I don't have any money and I want to like, I want to be able to buy stuff at the auction. Um, so that specifically, I don't, I've never really heard of many other teachers doing that. Uh, but it's just kind of a snapshot of how I really tried to create that, that student centered experience. Um, I was, I, and I can honestly, I, was I can honestly say I hired and I'd, I never looked at it again. I was hoping you said you created some buy-in with that activity, but that's a bad pun. Oh well. Um, I, I think realistically, that's a that's an awesome act, way, and and I think one of the the things that we would hear frequently, you do uh, jokingly make it seem like you do minimal work. In reality, it allows you to focus on what um, you are really passionate about doing, and luckily, what you're passionate about doing is what's most important that's going on in the classroom. Um, but really a, a cool way that I think a weakness, uh, my kids uh, recognize and support me in my weaknesses. They are thrilled to help me with my weaknesses. And I think that's a great way to highlight that it can be a joint activity 
uh, and, and, a, and a group-wide activity to, because at the end of the day, it might be forgetting lunch count or to say the pledge or we knew someone was leaving early and not that it was uh, interrupting anything, but we could still um, figure out a way to support each other because that that's how we work together. That's how the, the whole community runs as a, a strong team. Absolutely. So the reason I asked that is our interview today with um, with with Rhett is is unbelievable. I mean, Matt and I were just, um, you know, just just we just loved it. I mean, from from the first moment to the end, he just packs in golden nugget after golden nugget of information, of insight, of advice, of real practical lessons, great strategies and tools, and also really in inspirational advice for uh, veteran teachers and brand new teachers. And a lot of it is about him creating experiences that other teachers are not creating for, for his students. So, um, you know, I wanted to kind of tap into that conversation. So without, you know, jumping too much into it, Matt, do you have anything that you want to share before we transition right into this interview? I think the the nice thing that you'll hear is that he talks a lot from the lens of a new teacher and makes it seem like, hey, this is something anyone, regardless of your own educational journey, can hop along, but it's all about authentic learning. How can we connect to student interest, engagement? Um, He happens to be specifically a a world history teacher is his forte, Um, but he also recognizes that kids are coming in with a variety of different interests and he still can pull them regardless of how they feel about the topic into uh, just fully immersed into a really, really cool environment. Absolutely. And he did a great job of talking about his class, but it did not feel like a secondary social studies conversation at all. Uh, It really was was taking education, you know, a look at education at, at a whole. So we hope you enjoy the interview. Definitely uh, plug through to the end because it's just it's just packed with insight and advice. So without any further delay, let's get into the interview with Rhett. Rhett, welcome to the podcast. We are super excited to have you here. How are you? How are you doing today? Oh, man, I'm doing great. Uh, I tell you what, guys, I'm coaching seventh grade girls basketball. And for a guy who used to be a varsity basketball coach, that is an experience. So I'm having practice over the break. They are just the sweetest little girls, and uh, they play really, really hard, and it's just a lot of fun. So if you can't have a good time coaching those little girls, it's time to do something else. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. So uh, we're super excited to have you here. Uh, Matt and I are really meeting you for for the first time, other than some initial conversations as we as we got this recording set up. So why don't you just introduce yourselves yourself to our audience? Uh, just you know where you're from, what you teach, and and kind of just what your your career has looked like uh, um, thus far in education. Well, for one, I'm an old guy, so this would take a really long time. So I'll give you the cliff notes. So uh, my name is Rhett Oldham. Uh, I teach at St. Genevieve High School. In middle school, I teach both. I teach eighth grade world history, seventh grade American history. And then they let me teach a topics and research class, which is so, so fun. In fact, I took kids to Germany last year in February, uh, February 2020, like right when COVID first came out. And so we went to Rostock and that was just a phenomenal time. Um, I, uh, I'm, an, uh, I'm an Air Force veteran 
I was a histopathologist. I did autopsies, worked with surgical tissue. Before I got an education, uh, uh, I've been a varsity basketball coach, which is really, really fun. But what I do now is, um, you know, I really, I take kids on trips. We went to the UK a couple of years ago, went to Germany. Um, I'm a teacher for Global Classroom, Fulbright alum. I w- uh, taught in Morocco for a couple of weeks. Uh, went to Jordan on a trip uh, last summer, uh, which is a really, really cool thing. Um, you know, uh, I'm a, uh, I, I'm the 2020 uh, Gilder Lehrman uh, History Teacher of the Year and, and a, a national finalist, which is a really, really neat thing. I was a Missouri Teacher of the Year finalist. So I tell you all those things only because I just get to meet some really, really talented people, some really passionate educators. So sometimes when your battery kind of starts going low, I just get a hold of some people in your in these different groups. And you go, hey, man, what are you doing? What's cool? And then they tell you and you're like, whoa, you just recharged me. That's awesome. And I love that. So that's just kind of who I am. Uh, my wife is a retired superintendent and she uh, teaches at Southeast Missouri State University. And so she's actually the smarter of the two of us. And although I tease her all the time, I say she's not the smarter two. She got in administration and I didn't. But uh, but she's just a great, great lady. Uh, my sister is a kindergarten teacher. Uh, so. Uh, you know, education kind of runs in our family, but uh, really, guys, uh, I'm just excited to talk to you guys. I'm passionate about education. I love being around other passionate people. Well, I, I got to say, the passion is not translating at all through this, <laughs> through this call. It, it uh, so, Matt, genuine, we went guys. from <laughs> Matt, Matt. We went from seventh grade teacher to taking kids to Germany. So, what are your initial thoughts? Yeah, so I think what uh, my initial conversation I've always wanted to talk to someone of your background um, not yours specifically but I as a I, I teach fourth grade by trade I taught special ed for a while beforehand but I'm always at that elementary spectrum and I think the idea of translating from we have to be good at a lot I should say we have to be mediocre to decent at a bunch of different things because it's never to a high level but obviously uh, I would hope that uh, your kids can handle themselves a little bit better than my my nine-year-olds. Uh, maybe sure, not always. Sure. Um, but I think one of the things that I always have wondered when, when going through that is you teach your interest. You teach your life passion so much further than in my classroom teaching basic skills to be successful when my kids meet someone like you. So I guess my first question really comes down to, if you have this huge wealth of experience, how do you narrow down what you're going to focus on this year? Because I could imagine there's just a plethora of things that you can jump into when you're talking about going to uh, Germany or Jordan or these different places, or even your prior ha- like past of what you've experienced. How do you narrow down that scope and sequence of what you're going to cover in a year? Well, the scope and sequence thing comes from curriculum, and I wrote that. And so, yeah, and so we start at Stone Age, and we go to Renaissance and Reformation. My former student teacher teaches freshman world history, so he picks it up from there. And so, you know, we uh, interact and we we, uh, do different things. I'm a real tech guy. I don't use a piece of paper in my classroom. Um, I I shouldn't say that. Maybe 5% of the time. Uh, So, but really, it's fun because, okay, when I was talking about Judaism, uh, I went where uh, you know I was in Jordan, and I, I stood where Moses stood at Mount Nebo. 
Um, when I talk about the Crusades, uh, I went to a Crusader's Castle, which is really, really neat. I went to the Red Sea that was parted, you know, by Moses, which is super cool, right? Um, uh, I went to Jarash and uh, Volubius, which are Roman settlements in Morocco and in uh, uh, Jordan. I've been to uh, Hadrian's Wall in the UK. And so, you know, and, and I don't show vacation pictures all the time, but I, I show them. I'm like, hey, man, these are the things, places you can go to, which is a quick side note, Matt. We were in class and I go, what happens if I could take you to Europe for $1,200? How many of you guys would go? And they go, oh, you can't do that. I'm like, you watch. So we flew to London. Uh, we took the train to Chicago, flew to London. Uh, they stayed with host families. They went to school in the UK. And then those kids came over. We went to Stonehenge for free, went to Salisbury Cathedral. We did a, a day, day trip up London. I mean, it was just amazing. And it just started with a conversation at my classroom. I go, hey, guys, who wants to go? I'll put it together. And that's how we did it. Man, does that sound like realistically the the ultimate teaching dream right the hey sure. the the ignited passion of students in your classroom that one conversation turns into a life-altering experience and that's that's Matt, what I got one better than that so Matt check this out so we were in class this is five years ago and uh we were looking at I, they were having to do a video game about jousting during the middle ages and so this one kid goes wouldn't it be cool if we could do jousting here and I go yeah, let's do it. So we get, it's called the rowy chair joust. We go in the gym. We put shoulder pads on, a hockey helmet. I, uh, I made joust out of PVC pipe. I wrapped it and we put a tennis ball at the end. And then you have mushers and then bam, you try to knock people off. Uh, and I got video on my website. Kids just loved it. And that kid was like, hey, you did that because I said something. I go, yeah, it was a great idea. Why wouldn't I run with it? And it's so what happens in my class is I love my kids and they have cool ideas and we bounce it off each other and my class is rapid fire. And so they come in my class and they know we're going to get going and they have a blast and I do too. So, so I'd, I'd really like to, to un, I, I already have like six suitcases that I want to unpack. I, like. <laughs> I want to, yeah. I want to hit on this one that we're, we're, we're talking about right now because I have done the same thing where a great idea comes along, whether it's from a student Hopefully it is, usually is. Sometimes it's, you know, three in the morning I wake up and I think of it, whatever the case is. And you just go for it. You try it because, you, like you said, you love your kids. You think it's going to be a great experience. Um, and maybe you'll have other teachers that say, well, you know, are they really learning? Or maybe you're even questioning yourself, like, if I do this, am I going to hit the curriculum objectives and those expectations and those learning goals? How do you see... Um, well, I don't even the conversation of the student experience being so valuable that I, I want to talk about that. But before we even get to that, because that's so important, what do you actually see in terms of results of student understanding in terms of your curriculum knowledge when you when you create these experiences related to the curriculum? Well, first, Ken, you're my tribe, you're a 3 a.m. idea. You wake <laughs> up. I mean, you're in my tribe, baby. You're my wheelhouse. Second, I could care less what other teachers think. All right? And I'm really that guy. I'm, old, I'm an old guy. So I, you know, I don't hang around teaching, although I teach with great teachers. I will tell you that. All right? um, if you can't figure out how to do exciting things in your curriculum, get a new curriculum. I'm going to tell you that right now. Uh, because my curriculum, I got world history, man. I can do so many cool things in my class. All right. I mean, it's just fun. Uh, 
Uh, we, we do VR all the time. The kids love that, right? Uh, but I figured out how to do 3D. We, we look like something in a 1950s movie, and we'll do notes doing 3D. I am the ultimate stealer. I steal from everybody. I find really, really cool ideas. I'm going to give you an example. So my kids, when we're studying uh, Hebrew, great Hebrew people, they have to create a musical playlist that uh, a song that matches Moses. And then they got to got to uh, tell me why uh, a song that, that matches Abraham. That's just one example. Let me tell you why, Ken. The reason why I do that is if you can get curriculum to relate to kids and they go, hey, that's pretty cool. And I go, hey, get your YouTube list out. Get your Spotify list out. Boy, then they're like, hey, I'm in. I'm in. Let's do that. That's super cool. And then let give kids a voice where they can talk to other kids. Like a lot of times we do this really cool assignment. They just turn it in and then they don't talk about it. After they do that, like we create our own Greek mythological God and they have to tell a story about it. Let them read the story to, to their peers, to their buddies. So they go, that's a cool story. Or like, wait a minute, you stole that from Star Wars. Who cares, right? It, the bottom line is get kids excited about it. It's, it's easy to do. It's a blast. Well, I think when, when tapping into that idea, I know we've talked in the past about um, presenting or making your activities and your efforts visible, whether it's in the eyes of kids to see their progress. But in this case that you're bringing up, the idea of, hey, I'm putting this experience in front of other kids, the amount of intrinsic motivation that comes out of that is so much beyond just turning it in for you, right? right? Like the idea of my peers are going to see this and whether it's, I don't want to use peer pressure, but there's an element of, hey, I'm in a performance and I want to really knock my classmates socks off way more than my teacher or the grade. And I'm sure that you get tons of better quality material because of that added level of kind of uh, focus. So kind of jumping off that element, um, you mentioned using technology heavily in your classroom. Um, there's gotta, I, I kind of want to go towards the beginning of your school year and, and Ken, feel free to jump in. Obviously, kids are coming in and they have a preconceived notion of what they feel about world history. How do you start to navigate your year to get them on board? Because I'm sure once they're on board, then you have a ton of student choice. What is the beginning of your year? And that may be your student teacher that's giving prerequisites as well, uh, your old student teacher that's kind of the, the warm-up class. But... Tell us about your the beginning of the year that th makes the rest of the year successful. Well, I don't know if you guys see, but I use alternative seating. So I got couches. I got high, high top tables. All right. And I just tell kids, sit where you want. And then I have a picture of my um, my classroom on Google on Google Draw. And they got to take a picture of themselves and put their name on there in there. And I say, if you can handle it, you can sit here. That's how I start my class. All right. I don't send kids to the office. I just say, hey, I'm going to treat you like an adult. I'm going to treat you like, I don't care if you're in eighth grade, but I'm going to treat you like uh, that I, I respect you and I'm good and I like you and let's have a good time. All right. I got to find that niche. We talk a lot about goals. Uh, I'm a big Carol Dweck fan, uh, you know, growth mindset. I'm a big, I'm big on that. We talk about goals. I'm a big grit guy, Angela Duckworth. We talk about that. And that's what we talk about the first two or three days of school. 
So then they go through through Stone Age, and I end the unit by showing Flintstones episodes, and they have to figure out if this is Paleolithic, Mesolithic, or Neolithic. So that's how we start. I do a lot of alternative forms of assessment. My kids in the Four Cradles of Civilization actually had to create their own website timed in an hour. I don't care if you had an IEP or you're the smartest kid in school. Kids did it. All right. We're going to be doing a Socratic for our Rome. That's going to be one of our, our uh, alternative forms of assessment. Um, we actually did, we're uh, uh, ready to do a next one after that where I uh, have a virtual museum and Google Slides. We're going to create a virtual museum as an alternative form of assessment. So if COVID does anything, guys, Throw everything you think out the window and say, let's just try stuff. And I'll absolutely and here's here's the cool thing, and this is what I love. I'll come in, I say, guys, I got this really cool thing, I want to try it. And afterwards I'll go, that sucked. I'm like, you know what? It sure did suck. But you know what? We tried it. So we just won't do it again, right? And then we'll do something new and they'll go, That was really cool. I like that. And I'm like, me too. Let's do it again. That was fun. And so then your kids are, they're not a passive participate your class are active they're engaged and and uh uh oh who's that guy in uh uh the gamify guy like his whole thing i can't think of that guy's name uh it's like to teach like a pirate people uh absolutely dave burgess is teach like a pirate okay dave burgess but then there's a guy with him and he gamifies his entire classroom all right and those guys kind of go too far i still kind of like some of my fun stuff within a context because i'm a big backwards design guy we figure out what our test is, what our objectives are, then break down the lessons that way. So I know I'm giving you a really long answer, but what I'm telling you is it's all part of this framework of, hey, we, we got stuff we got to learn, but let's have fun within the framework. Absolutely. And I've, um, you know, there have been times where I'll tell the kids kind of the same thing, like, you know, we're going to try this project, you're by guinea pigs. And I'll say, do you, you know, remember the project, you know, blank that we did a couple months ago? And they say, yeah, that was awesome. I said, well, you know, there was a point where I said to my class three years ago, hey, we're going to try this. And then, and then I'll say, do you remember this project? You know, this other one, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and the kids will go, no, you didn't do that with us. I said, yeah, because that one was a disaster and I never did it again. So (laughs) it's going to be one of these two. The kids are either going to do it next year or they're not. Yeah. Um, and, and what you said about the, the alternative seating right now, you know, you might be thinking like, I can't do that. And, and let's put COVID aside. It's going to end at, at some point. Um, I, for a long time, was really focused on a student-centered classroom, establishing that rapport from day one. And one year I emptied in fifth, teaching fifth grade, I emptied my classroom and the kids came into, actually, they came into a pile of desks and chairs. I didn't set anything up. And we spent the first week designing our room. Oh, pretty and I was cool. amazed. I was amazed at how the physical space really emphasized the message that I had tried to deliver for so many years from the moment they walked in. And, you know, really thinking about the physical design of your classroom does have a huge impact because you've already set the tone before you've even spoken your first word. So, you know, I I love that you're doing that. Um, When you were talking about some of your project ideas of these, these activities that you're doing with your with your students. A lot of times when I talk with teachers about this, they'll say, well, you know, I don't have time to get to that. 
I, the, the unit runs longer than I, than I needed to, or it's, I don't have time to get to that. And I try to help them understand it's not about getting to that. It's about doing that to teach them. So can you give us kind of a concrete example of how, instead of getting to the fun project, you use that fun, exciting, engaging project to teach the, just teach the unit? Well, uh, I call it speed dating history. And for some reason, we decided that's what we're going to do in education is, uh, okay, you have two days for Egypt. Well, shut up. I don't want to hear that. You know, I mean, you know, that's fun. I mean, why would I want to speed date that? Uh, you got four days for Rome. Are you kidding me? I mean, I could teach a whole semester on that. Uh, you mean to tell me you only give me a week for Renaissance and Reformation? No way, man. That's That's awesome. So let me give you some examples. So one of the cool things we do in our Reformation unit is I teach church architecture, all right? And we look at Romanesque and Gothic and uh, and early Christian and Baroque and we and Byzantine, and we break all this down. And they actually, so what we do then is I say, you're gonna create your own church. And then we go, we look at all these great churches all over the world. And then they go, oh my gosh, that's really cool. I love that, I love it. And then we go down to the Catholic church down the street. And then it's a neo-Gothic. And they have to go in that church and they have to identify Gothic um, Gothic points of that church. And then the priest comes out. He's a super cool dude. And he has a relic of St. Genevieve. He has a relic of Joan of Arc. All right, and he starts talking about it. And my kids are like, whoa, this is super cool. And so that's just one example of where I say, okay, let's do, let's integrate this to where then they go, well, what, what's up with all these churches? Uh, why would they, why is there Baroque and Gothic? And I'm like, well, because of the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation that we talk about. So that's just one example, but I could give you guys a thousand. So kind of playing off this idea and not to, to, we are recording this the day, I believe, at least for us before the holiday break is when we're recording. I know this will come out a little bit later, but uh, I am feeling exhausted uh, by my school year and to hear your excitement, um, even going into a break, you can just tell how passionate you are about teaching. And so when you have an activity like this or a unit and these hands-on, these uh, immersed experiences, how do you measure success? How do you measure, uh, obviously we can reflect and say, hey, this lesson was awesome. We want to do it again, or that didn't go so well. But what are your, what is your criteria that you're using to say, hey, I can tell that they connected back to the requirements of what I feel like I need to cover to prepare and say, hey, I believe that I've done my minimum requirement while creating the experience that I would want as a kid or that I'm proud to have given uh, the, the learners that walk in my room? Well, I, I had a principal, uh, my principal before the one I have now, who's really good, by the way, but the guy before him said about teacher evaluations. And I, that's what I did my dissertation on, all right, uh, about uh, teacher evaluations that are effect on teacher morale. But he said this about teacher evaluations. I'm going to say the same thing about my kids. It's not about the grade. It's about the conversation. So, Matt, if you turn that's in so some slop, if you turn in some slop, I go, hey, Matt, this is like D work. This is lousy. And, and you're like, yeah, I know, man. I just didn't give a good effort. 
I'm like, well, man, you know, you got to give me more than that. You know, I, and cause I know you're better than that. Well, I don't care if the kid is the smartest kid or the dumbest kid. If you say you're better than that, he's like, wait a minute, this guy sees something in me that I don't even see in myself. So by the way, COVID, I'm exhausted. And, uh, my uh, my pacing guide guides are way off. I'm going slower than I've ever been. And you know what? I don't care. Uh, my kids, what I'm focused on is, guys, we're going to have a good time this year. If anything, I learned, I learned, I, I did some uh, some work for the state of Missouri this year with some other teachers, and we talked about how you're going to approach COVID this year. And we said it's all about relationships this year. Yeah, we got to teach them. But make sure your kids know you care about them, that you love them, that you stay on, on, on top of them, you know, that you're helping them out, that you're picking up kids, that you're you're praising your good kids. You know, I give I give them more extra credit this year than I ever have. My grade grubbers love it. All right. My, you know, because because they, they want 120 percent, you know. But yeah. But here's the thing. It's that's the point is. Is. When you backwards design, you got to hit these benchmarks, these these uh, objectives. And so you tell the kids, hey, you're, uh, we do a podcast as a uh, as an alternative form of assessment. And I go, OK, you got to hit these objectives in your podcast. And then you give you give them a scoring guide. Here's your scoring guide. So listen, man, this teaching thing's not rocket science. It's, you know, getting kids excited about your subject matter. I teach with great people in my department. They push me. I push them. And we get together and say, what are you doing different? They go, hey, have you seen the new Gim Kit thing? What they're doing? I'm like, I haven't got to it yet, dude. But it's, but it's super cool. And they're excited about it. They're trying it. I go, hey, I'm trying this new thing. And they go, whoa, that sounds cool. I want to try that. And so then it becomes this, not it's not competitive, but it's, they they want their pedagogy to come out in excellence, and I want to do the same thing. So that's that's really how I teach. And you know, and, and as long as um the kids are learning stuff, and and I know they're learning stuff, and their their work shows that, then I feel like I'm hitting a home run, and that's what we're trying to do. Absolutely. And, and talking about uh, the the students showing that they're learning stuff, you talked a lot about authentic assessments, which I'm a huge fan of, huge fan, and and a big believer in in the importance of it and the value and how much more you get out of the learning experiences or the or the students do. A lot of times, um, teachers will I think some of their reservation is is um, just being a little bit uh, worrisome that the students won't be able to, they won't have the basic knowledge to be able to tackle the authentic learning assessment. So, uh, and a lot of times that's what our traditional assessments are. They're just evaluating that basic understanding of the content. So what steps do you take along the way, whether it's tools or strategies to make sure that your students do have the basics, they have that basic level of understanding of the content to be able to successfully engage with those authentic forms of assessment. You bet. Okay. So for one, uh, don't tell me you can't tell me. I just don't know right now. And I want to figure it out. All right. That's everybody. All right. Secondly, if you do not give kids tools to be successful, they will not. So if Matt is a poor reader and he's dyslexic, he has a reading disability, whatever. And I make him read a 18th century document in its original form, 
and then I get mad because Matt gets a bad grade. That's my fault. That's not the kid's fault. I So I use a lot of differentiated instruction stuff. For example, one-click summary is gold. And if you're not using that in your classroom, you are, uh, you're hurting kids. They take a full website, you hit one-click summary, and then that thing will boil it down to six sentences. So then I hear people say, oh, man, that, then it doesn't give the, the full intent. I got a kid that can't read. I just want him to get a basic understanding of what we're trying to do. I am a massive Marzano guy. Summarization, 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 cause and effect, comparison, contrast. We do a lot of that in our classroom. All right. Uh, so, you know, Rick Wormley, he's another great guy, man. That, that uh, It's all about summarization in any subject. All right. So you're telling. So I'll give you an example. I say, OK, guys, look at this learning target. You got you have to highlight the three most important words and give me a picture. Then I'll say, get your phones out, take a picture of the objectives uh, on Snapchat, underline the three words in Snapchat, give me an emoji, all right, and then send and then turn it into Google Classroom. You have to write a sentence, you have to write a story only using emojis, all right? I'm hitting the kid's wheelhouse, and then I say, yo, dude, because Matt's my bad reader, right? I go, Matt, what do you got going on here? He goes, well, this emoji means that, and, and then I give him emoji finder. It's a really cool, it's got like 90, 900,000 emojis. And they go, this is what this emoji means. This is what that emoji means. That's what that emoji means. All right. I'm in his wheelhouse. Draw a cartoon. All right. Using, uh, oh, what's my one app that's just phenomenal? I love it. I'll tell you what it is. Um, Strip Generator. It's a German app. I love this, man. Strip Generator. And they they create that stuff for storyboard that. All right. The uh, Auto Draw. Do you guys use Auto Draw? That is an amazing app where kids are writing stories, right? The bottom line is this. Give kids tools, all right? And say, listen, every kid is smart. I tell every kid, don't tell me you're dumb. That just tells me you're being lazy. Don't tell me you're being dumb. Tell me I'm going to find a way to, to, to learn this. Even if you don't like history, show me you're smart. And, and you never tell a kid they're smart. You tell them you have given great effort. I say that. I don't care, a million times a year. That was awesome effort. All right. So effort gives good grades, not intelligence. That's so good. It is. So can I can I take a, a route a little bit different? Um, I think as so you call yourself, we'll call you wise and experienced in education. Um, <laughs> I'm an old guy. Yeah. <laughs> with that being said, I think the big fear for younger teachers is they are hyped up on experience, this uh, authentic assessments, this uh, learn through um, being a part of the, the uh, environment as much as possible. But the barrier becomes maybe what they think are self-created limitations. What is my administration going to think? What am I required to do? Uh, I can more connect what I'm doing to uh, kind of assessment anchors and standards if I just say, oh, I'm going to read this standard and try and teach it today. Um, so what is the environment maybe that you have fostered in your own building to allow you to feel comfortable? Um, because you said that it doesn't necessarily matter how other people feel about you because you're doing what you think is best for kids, but there also has to be something you created 
obviously you've been successful and been acknowledged for your successes, but there's a reason and ways behind and, and methods behind what you've done that has loosened up and, and created some flexibility for you to make the classroom that you want it to be. Okay. That's a great question. And, and if I'm talking to young teachers right now, I'd say a couple of things. One, know your community. All right. Yeah, like for instance, we right now uh, we're talking to kids from Italy, and I let my kids and, and we exchange Instagram and Snapchat addresses. We did that with Croatia earlier in the year. We did it with Turkey. We'll do it with twelve different countries throughout the year where kids are talking to kids our same same age group. There's a great program called the Transatlantic Educator Dialogue. It's called TED out of the University of Illinois, and I'm an alum of that. And I met some really cool teachers there. I've met teachers all over the world. My community is we're the oldest community west of the Mississippi, all right? Our downtown's a national park, real French heritage. So they love that, all right? I know my community. Secondly, your admin has to has to be allow you some, some rope, all right? And your admin, they say, listen, I don't want that. So you may have to stay in a certain lane and you can fight that, but you, it just means you're in the wrong place, all right? So I would say that first. You got to know your community. You got to know your admin. Third, now as far, so what happened in my department is there were some really, really creative people. We had friction early, all right? Because their, what their creativity was and mine were just different. Well, once we figured out after a year or two that, hey, wait a minute, we're all trying to do the same thing. And so let's just figure out how to do it our way and acknowledge that. Well, I've been here seven years. So if you think the first year you're going to come in and change culture and climate in your school, you're going to get fired. All right. You, you're going to have to figure out, OK, I'm going to teach the way I want to teach in the context of the culture and climate of my school, the culture and climate of my community, the culture and climate of my admin. So all of those things. Well, when I found out that there was all these creative and innovative people around me, I was like, yeah, this is my I'm in my tribe. And so I went for it. And I know sometimes it doesn't come off great. And I might make some people mad. But at the end of the day, they were like, you know what? That's cool. I want to elevate my classroom. And I go, wait a minute, you're elevating. I better stay up. I better not have a slack off year. And so then it creates this natural creative creative environment where everybody's wanting to do these cool things. And yeah. so, so you got to find your tribe. And sometimes it just means you got to talk to teachers in other districts districts other places in the world because man i'll tell you something else and ken you got to remember this we are the worst networkers in the world teachers are we're horrible networkers so you gotta if you i have all this creative juices find other people that are creative so you can talk to them even if you're like in a district you don't want to be in and then find a place where you can go that can allow you that creativity that you, you strive for Kent, matt i'm i'm Sorry, Matt. I'm so glad you asked that question because I think the the teacher you are, uh, I would say Matt and I strive to be be like that and being creative and just giving students different experiences. A lot of times it's, well, look at this, look at this guy or look at this, you know, this girl, um, the, look at what they're doing. Like, come on, like they're not teaching, they're doing all this crazy stuff. But I love the answer that you gave, Rhett, because it was such a level-headed systematic approach to pushing the boundaries it was understanding your community understanding your administration and knowing your place and knowing how to just push that a little bit further 
one year. Push it a little bit further the next year as you get comfortable, as you become more confident, as you become better and you you understand your admin more. And then in turn, hopefully your admin is and your and your community is starting to understand you more and trusting you more and saying like, wow, like look what look at what this teacher is doing. That's really great. Oh, look what they're doing now. It's even better. Let me learn from that person. But if you come in and just like you said, you just want to bust the walls down. Well, you're going to get canned, or you're you're not gonna you're not gonna earn that rapport and that respect with the community, the administrator, and your and your team. Um, and what you said about networking, I completely agree. And not to not to plug this podcast and our website, but that's exactly why we create we are creating this podcast, and we created PowerEduUp.com because we want to create the finally the place where. All teachers can come to connect. It's not about a tech tool. It's not about a subject. It's not about a grade level. It's about all teachers finding a voice and also finding other voices to share those creative energies, ask questions, and share ideas. So if you haven't become a member yet, please become a member because it's going to take a long time to grow, but it's going to become that community for all educators. I want to just kind of jump in real quick. So two things that I think you said, and then Ken, I'll let you ask the next question. But I just, I feel like we need to emphasize this. First off, I think uh, I have long said it is very rare that the teacher next door teaches the same way you do. And it's even difficult for someone that's progressive to find someone else, find your tribe. It's difficult in a lot of our school environments, A, to find someone that is willing to handle things in the way you are that can be constructive, but also to be in the same grade level or place in life to be putting that energy in. So to use a PLN or um, like Ken was saying, reaching out and, and finding, and I think we'll get into this in a little bit, how you get some inspiration um, is a huge portion. The other thing that I have to point out, I have never considered community. And for you to point, it's not that I haven't considered, because I, I teach in a very, I, I teach in a, a Amish Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. So heart of the the German um, Mennonite and Amish uh very touristy, but rooted in their their deep family values. I grew up right outside of Philadelphia, totally different. And so I brought some of my tendencies, my uh, Will Smith, West Philadelphia style to a very conservative Lancaster County. And it that's a Will. That's a bit of a stretch. OK, <laughs> the suburbs. But if you keep on going man, down. Man, man. Maybe Carlton, huh, Matt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that being said, I, if you get yep. past Darby and you get to where I grew up, but um, sure, sure. That being the case, the community is so huge, and I think that admin, when they get to that position, they have to recognize community because they are the liaison between school and the the students, the teachers and faculty, and making the community happy. A lot of times I feel like in my role, all I'm concerned about is, oh, the kids came and they are fed and they're awake so that I can do my job. And I kind of tune out that community. Obviously, we're reaching out to parents and not to make me sound like a bad teacher. There's way more consideration. But early on, my focus was curriculum and when it's showtime. And it is so much bigger than that, that just that emphasis of you saying that first is a huge 
component that I don't think is something we consider enough as an important feature of, you know what, my kids live totally different than how I expect them to. And so I have to open myself up to my kids work on farms. They live on farms. They get up. They do tons of work before they even come to school. There's a reason why they're dirty or they haven't whatever prioritized homework. They're working people. So I just thought it was a really interesting point that I, I wanted to bring up and um, as well as kind of reaching out and finding that inspiration. Because like you said, when you push those boundaries little by little, um, I always try to make the fifth grade teachers year a little bit harder each year. If I do a really good job in fourth grade, that means my kids are more prepared for deeper level thinking, higher quality conversations, their integration of technology. Um, that may create a little friction with my fifth grade teachers, but if anything, it just pushes them to be a little bit better at what they do uh, each and every year. So what I what I would love to circle back to because you hit us with with so much um, quickly, which was was great, was the this these experiences you've provided to your students, whether virtual or authentically going to these other countries, and a lot of it seems like it's you've been able to tap into your experiences in, in traveling a lot. So what I would like to uh, to hear from you and, and hopefully you can provide some some insight or some some guidance. Let's say there's a teacher listening, whether they teach social studies or another subject, and they haven't traveled much, but they love what they're hearing. What are some initial steps or places that they can go to start to open up to the possibilities of getting their students to travel? Okay, so um, I, I'm all about economy. All right. If I tell my kids, okay, let's let's go ahead and use a travel agency, um, and uh, what's 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 the EF tours? All right, EF tours are gonna cost you four grand. So that means my rich kids get to go on the trip. Good for them. All right. What I want is the kid who's being raised by two grandmas that scrunch the money together and say, hey, yeah, we can do fourteen hundred bucks. All right. So that's what I'm looking for. Uh, my German trip costs less than $800 for my kids. All right, because they stayed with homestays. I got that through GAPP, G-A-P-P, German America Partnership Program. And that's part of, oh, what's that? Trans, uh, what's that? Transatlantic. It's a German, it's a ger big German thing. Top. Transatlantic Outreach Program. Okay. So, I just, uh, it's like speed dating for American schools for German schools. And I literally met these people in Rostock. They, they were pheno they're phenomenal people, very engaging. And that's how I met them. I used to use the old Google, um, oh, the Google Facebook. What was that called? Um, Google, that was a Google, Google program. Oh, uh, Google, Google Plus. Yeah. There you go. I met a lot of educators on that. Um, and then once I started talking to them, I was like, like my friend Andy in the UK, he said, hey, I got a girl that wants to come to the United States for three weeks. I go, bring her over. All right, we'll do homestays and she'll come to school every day. And that's how we started it. I go, wouldn't it be cool if me and you just did that like regular? So we flew Chicago to London, which was super cheap. All right, my kids had never been on a train, St. Louis to Chicago, the train. And, I, and they'd never been on a, on a train in the UK. They'd never been 
on a double decker bus. They'd never been on the on on the subway. And so you create all these cool experiences and you do it cheap. So yeah, so sometimes it's just a matter of reaching out. Uh, uh, sometimes people just know people, you know. Uh, but if but you may just have to say that first time, hey, listen, I'm going to try to do an EF tours kind of thing. All right. But Gap was cheap. And I did all the travel arrangements. I got a not-for-profit that I ran all the money through. And that might be too daunting for people. So maybe you just want to say, let's do a Costa Rica trip, which even through EF Tours is under $3,000. So you might try that. If you don't want to do that, you guys are on the East Coast. Hey, let's take, let's take a trip to Canada. What, you know, let's do that. So what? It's fun. You know, try to do something like that. But there's opportunities. And sometimes you just got to... Try to think outside the box, and that's when you start talking to other people and finding out, you know, what they do. Talking to other people is huge. I mean, you could you could throw this idea out tomorrow and and find out that one of the kids' moms, mom or dad, works in some capacity that I could say, oh, you know, I could set that up tomorrow. You ne- you never know who knows what or who knows who, and having those conversations with your team, with your administration, and with your students. You never know what what doors those are going to open. I, I think it's I think it's fantastic. Um, Matt, do you have anything that you want to you want to tap into with the the global? Yeah, piece? so I just have a, a just a funny anecdote. You are someone again, subject matter expert. Um, I don't know if you take expert as part of that, but we refer to hey, you focus on this area quite heavily. Um, is there an element of your teaching day that you absolutely dread? Because mm, because it, no. it seems like you really create this experience that you know it, for me it's always teaching fractions. I have to teach fractions. I don't like doing it. It's the longest time of the year. But is it one of those dream positions that from August till June it is just in nonstop learning experience and, and really the classroom that you've always dreamed it would be. Well, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew that middle school kids, if you asked them to bring pencil, paper, notebook, uh, you know, make all these and, and your your Chromebook and all these different things, they're going to forget stuff. So I said, listen, I'm going to put everything on a Chromebook and don't forget your Chromebook. Well, they'll forget their charger. They'll forget to charge your computer. So I got charging stations all over my room. All right. So I did that. So that was what I started with. But here's the bottom line. Um, yeah, some things I don't like to teach. American history, the nullification crisis. That puts me to sleep, all right? And so, guess what? I just spend a day on it and I move on, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, you know, but, you know, and I try to make it fun. But at the end of the day, technology is sometimes it's a, a, a it bridges gaps, all right? And so, you know, so that's something that I do that, uh, but as far as my day, no, really, I, I got, I teach really fun kids. They're really nice. They're nice kids. I teach with nice people. Uh, you know, my administration pretty much says, hey, man, you know, you obviously know what you're doing. Go ahead and do it. And uh, I don't send kids to the office because for the most part, you know, I'll say, hey, quit acting dumb. And they're like, oh, sorry, man, my fault. You know, and then but another, here's something else. My kids are up and moving. We got to put masks on now when we move. But. You know, so I don't make kids sit in the same seat for 55 minutes to do a stupid worksheet, all right? You know, who wants to do that? Who who got into education, guys? You tell me. Uh, 
Ken, you got your degree and you go, I cannot wait to run off a packet of worksheets and sit there and watch my kids do it. If, and it amazes me that there's actually still some teachers that do that, which is terrible, right? Why do we get an education? Because we like kids and we like our subject matter. That That's kind of the way I figure it. So I get to teach what I want to teach, which I love. And I get to teach kids that are fun and, and they want to have fun. A kid doesn't sit in your class and go, this sucks and I don't want to do anything. All right? I have kids say, I hate history. But now being here seven years, they walk in and say, hey, I hear your class is pretty fun. So I've already kind of bridged that gap already where I broke that down. I want to I insert this real quick, guys. I'm going to give you a quick tip to make your class better every year. One tip, all right? I call, I call every parent. I got 117 kids. I called 117 parents the first six weeks of school. And I say something nice about their kid, even if I got to make it up, all right? I mean, literally, I'll say, man, I just want to let you know, I thank you for the opportunity to teach your kid. And I think we're going to have a great year together. I've already seen him do this. Now, listen, if something goes sideways, this is really important. If something goes sideways, let's me and you have a conversation about how we can make your kid successful. All right. I like your kid. But listen, sometimes grades go south. Shoot me an email. Give me a quick call. Let's talk about it. But at the end of the day, me and you have the exact same goal. We want your kid to be successful. If you do that, you go, I don't have time. Okay, six weeks is what? How many days, guys? 30 days. 30 days, 117 kids. That's four. That's less than four kids a day. All right? I And, and listen, I used to do some telemarketing stuff before. I the, the best part is when you actually get to leave a message. All right? Uh, we did a Socratic Smackdown one time. This is my favorite story ever about calling a parent. And this kid, who's just like a B student, all right, nothing great, he had figured out how to score really well. He scored the most points I've ever had any kid score. So I call and leave a message to his mom, all right, and tell him, man, listen, great score ever. Your kid's awesome, blah, 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 blah. So he comes in on Monday, and I go, hey, Landon, man, did you get my message? He goes, yeah, my mom got your message. She called my aunt in Tennessee, played the message in Tennessee, Called both my grandmas, played that message there. Called my great grandma, played that message. Guys, I went through four states and four generations on one phone call. All right. That kid, man, his parents say that my kid's awesome. And somebody acknowledged that. I've had parents cry on the phone when I say, You got a good kid. Well, you're middle school teachers, man. They, kid, uh, parents, you say, I know, I said, you're doing a great job raising your kid. He is so respectful of my class. They're like, whoa, he's not that way at home. I'm like, yeah, he is. You're doing a great job. So many middle school parents just want affirmation that they're they're doing it right, right? And guys, here's and here's the point. Teachers' words matter. My mom died last year at the age of 81. She could tell you what my kindergarten teacher said about me. She could have the last year of her life. She could she'd remember and she'd say, yeah, I remember when Mrs. Butler said that about you. The weight of our words, guys, are so amazingly powerful. So if you say oh, your kid sucks man, he's, he's failing, they they take that to heart man, and, and then it becomes adversarial. 
But if you guys are on the same side and you say, that Matt Rogers, man, when he was in seventh grade, man, he was a pain in the butt. But you know what? He was a neat kid and he did cool things. I guarantee your mom's going to remember that. And I want you to think about that as I don't care if they're seniors or kindergartners. Say something nice about your kids to those parents. Absolutely. It's uh, it's it's great advice. Um, and, and I did something very similar. I was laughing as you were saying that. I would call every parent before the first day of school and just say, listen, I'm really excited to work with, with your child this year. If you need anything, I'm here. You know, connect with me through email, through phone call. You know, I look forward to to supporting your child this year and helping them grow. And a lot of them were voicemails, um, which was fine. And, you know, I only had 30 kids because it was in elementary school. So it was one homeroom. But I would, you know, I would blow through that just on one of my one of my, uh, you know, prep days before the school year. And I guaranteed that my first my first communication with every parent was positive. It was a positive if communication. I had to call a yes, sir. On the, on the first day of school because someone did something. I already had a positive conversation and I wanted that to be the establishment of the relationship. And and something I used to do as well, kind of along the same lines, if I had a student that was just, uh, you know, really having a great day, especially students that, you know, were maybe struggling a little bit more, I would type up an email to the parents and just say, hey, you know, Bobby did this today. He, he rocked it. It was awesome. And before I would hit send, I would call the kid up and say, hey, Bobby, come look oh, at that's, this. And that's I just cool. say, read my Very screen. Good. And they would read in like it would take them a couple times to figure out that I was writing about them and sending it to the parents that I'm about to send this email right now. So they knew that that email was getting to their parent before they went home. Um, so but you're absolutely right. You can't forget about that, that connection, that bond that you have the home life, you have the student and you have the teacher. And it's, you know, it's that symbiotic relationship to help that student grow in a positive way. You just keep you just keep dropping, dropping nugget after nugget here. Right? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this, too. you got to teach parents. We keep saying we want parent involvement, but we don't teach them how to be involved. So so here's the thing. So let's say, Ken, that you're in my class and, and you're screwing up and I'm, I'm on your case. So I call a parent. I say, man, Ken, Ken struck, man, he, he caused a lot of problems in my classroom today. I have given up my authority in my classroom to that parent letting them know I can't handle their kid. All right. Well, no wonder people think that teachers don't do their jobs because I'm calling that parent, asking them to do the job for me. So I don't. I never make that phone call. You know, me and the kid, we're having a conversation. Like, dude, you got to get after it, man. We 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 got to figure out a better way here because this isn't working. And then when he does something good, then I'm calling the parent and saying, or I'm shooting an email. And your kid was rocking today, man. Great job. Because later on, you find out that kid's parents are getting divorced and he's having he's really struggling and he's in seventh grade. And he's dealing with crap he shouldn't have to deal with, right? So anyway, so that's something I – 99% of my phone calls are always positive. Well, and I think that that then sets – again, it, it creates like all of these situations, right? It seems like what you're saying is it's kind of like you put the hard work in first to get the rewards after it. And, front load. and, yeah, and front load. when you're back mapping and, and using all this, hey, everything is rooted in what it's supposed to. But whether it's parent communication, whether it's the kids and the, the experience. Now, obviously, you have a reputation now that supports you. You were mentioning, hey, someone that doesn't uh, doesn't consider themselves a lover of history walks in with an open mindset to your classroom. But 
the experience you're creating is it's a lot of work at the beginning of the year. It's a lot of work to set these standards. I know I've mentioned I spend two to three weeks strictly dedicating to teaching my kids in my classroom how to every single thing that I downloaded onto their device. So I can say you have full choice for the rest of the year, but we're going to do isolated projects so you can recognize what I'm going to expect from you, as opposed to I drop an activity in front of kids and say, hey, real quick, before you do that, let me teach you how I want you to use this app. It doesn't work because all they then view is, hey, how am I navigating, not necessarily connecting to content. If, if we get this all out of the way, put the effort in front loaded, then you reap the benefits afterwards. And that's where, I mean, we've mentioned it before, uh, Sir Ken Robinson, right? The whole creativity and education, is it still a, a key component? Realistically, we're not trying to. I love how you said GimKit. GimKit, super cool uh, formative assessment tool created by a student out of Seattle. Um, just like the, right? these type tools end up being the highlight for the kids, the focus for the kids of how do I navigate it, not what you're trying to teach them. And you've totally lost your purpose if that's how you're navigating a lesson, especially the teachers that are doing it just for their observation. Most because we all, most, we all see, know what's I, happening. Sure, you know, and, and you you want to have a good observation day. But what I will say, guys, is is if it's just part of the culture of your classroom, like I'm loud, I, I yell at kids. I you know I, I'm loud, and so sometimes kids are saying, "Well, I'm scared of you because you you yell at people," and I'm like, "Yeah, I do," but. Here's one thing, especially with middle school kids, and I'll tell you this. Uh, my dad, he, he's a real gruff guy. He lacks any type of ambiguity. Like, there's no ambiguity with him. And I, I, I got that with him. So with kids, they love that. Okay, they understand if it's here or it's here. And if there's nothing in between and the ambiguity is small, then they're like, okay, all right, it's good. And so they recognize when kids are getting out of their lane, they're like, whoa, dude, you know you're going to get yelled at here, right? And you know, that's how it is. And so I'm very direct with kids, too. And so but if parents trust you after years of doing that, then, then it kind of works. But, you know, here I will tell you this and, and then go ahead and ask your next question. My way is not your way. It's not Ken's way. All right. And guess what? And, and the teacher who's really, really quiet, one of the best teachers I've ever met, never raised her voice. She was amazing. And kids loved her. And she was great with content. And she was great with student relationships and we could have been different, more different, but I recognized that she had greatness in her uh, and it was very, very different in mine. So don't be saying, I can't be saying, Hey Matt, you better start teaching like me. Ken, you better start teaching like me because it wouldn't work for you because it wouldn't be genuine. It's just got to be genuine. And we, and we actually had a conversation um, in a different episode of being yourself is the best suggestion you can get, right? Rhett, you being yourself so that you can be consistent, right? I had I had a, a fourth grader. It was the, I think the second week of school that said, okay, if I do what I'm supposed to, Mr. Rogers will never be upset with me. If I don't, then Mr. Rogers is going to make sure I know that I'm up, that he's upset. There are no games. There is nothing. That's how I am as well. Probably a little bit less with a little bit more uh, uh, kid friendly vocabulary than uh, obviously a middle school learner. But I think what you're saying there is so true because we can preach 
all these great things, but if we don't believe it, if it's not authentic to ourselves, kids see through it, and then you've totally lost your leverage for the rest of the year. It's absolutely got to be authentic. Like you said, you got to be yourself with the right intentions, creating those experiences for students where you want them to learn, you want them to become a better version of themselves. So I want to transition. I could talk all day. Uh, so we're just going to have to have you back on because I want to try to be mindful of our time. <laughs> no, um, hey, it's cool. I, hey, we're getting ready to go on Christmas break, guys. And, uh, and I'm good. I get to sleep late tomorrow. Everything's solid. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I want to transition into the next portion of our show where we're going to we're gonna take a look at one of your lessons. Uh, so far, Matt and I have had awful success <laughs> with with asking our questions, the session, the, the, uh, portion of the episode has been really powerful. Uh, but we do have, uh, questions that we want to ask you. And I have a feeling that you are going to go right off the rails right away, uh, because you're super passionate, but it'll be a positive way anyway. But, um, we're going to ask you, we're going to ask you some questions. So try to answer the question directly, uh, but feel free to add on, um, as much as you want. And we just want to learn about one of your lessons a little bit. So, so, so the first question before Ken goes on, Rhett, just so you understand it in every sense, we will try to keep this direct. We have (laughs) never, ever successfully done this because again, it's, it's a story. The lesson that you're going to tell us is a story. It's an experience. So feel free to take it in your own way. Absolutely. So first simple question, is it a single lesson, you know, kind of like a single class period, or is it more of a long-term project or, or unit overview that you're going to take us through? Well, it, it, you know, I thought a lot about this, guys. And, you know, I, I, so I, I was thinking about, okay, what could I do here? What could I talk to you guys about that, you know, just an individual lesson or something like this? So here's what I'm going to do, all right? I'm going to take you through some some backbone stuff, okay, that anybody could just plug and play into their lessons, okay? So this isn't so much a particular lesson or a particular unit, but I'm going to, and I'll share these with you guys when we're done with the show, so you can you can put it on your website, because um, I've stole these from a lot of people, okay? Awesome. And, and came up with my own ideas too. But I am a huge graphic organizer guy. I mean, okay? So I'm going to take you through some graphic organizers that I that I use that kids just love that can be their own lessons. Okay. Very cool. So I get I guess um, the the next question would be the time of year that you really tap into this, but I'm assuming this is something in in many different forms that you utilize throughout the whole school year. You bet. That's correct. That's correct. You made my answer right. the answer to my question easy. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So because here's the thing, you know, if I come in here and talk to you about a history lesson, then right away, if I teach English, I'm like, never mind, this guy's not going to help me out. Okay. So, all right. So, so I'll, I'll take you through and there's a ton of them. Okay. So I use graphic organizers a lot because I don't use worksheets. So we're looking at websites and videos and clips and and uh, and uh, primary source documents and all these different things. Okay, so I got to have a landing place for all this. All right, in order for them to kind of create a project, if that's what I want to do. All right, so here's one that was it's really really fun. It's called three two one. Tell me three things you discovered, two interesting things, one question you still have. You can apply that to any lesson, guys. Any lesson. All right, that's an easy one. All right, 
Uh, my kids love this one. It's called a tacos chart. All right. And it's an acronym. All right. And so I give them a political cartoon and they have to apply the tacos chart. And I'll tell you what, guys, it's one of the, it's one of the easiest things. And it's fun. Time. When did it happen? Action. All right. What's going on? Caption. What does the cartoon say? Object. What objects are in there? And then summary. Tacos. Right. How easy is that? Right. And I'll tell you what, I have high school teachers use this and they go, it is phenomenal. All right. I talked to you guys about the playlist where you have to pick, you know, pick songs. All right. So I already gave you that one. All right. Um, oh, this is really, really fun. You'll love this one. Create a uh, create a bumper sticker. All right. Create a bumper sticker with a saying or a slogan. And it can be anything like for like a uh, emperor of Rome or like you've just read the first chapter of a book, or something like that. OK. This one is super fun, guys. Create an acrostic poem, an acrostic poem. All right. So like Stone Age. So stone. And then you got like, you know, words for stone. Right. Is that pretty fun or what? That's awesome. Huh? It's easy. Right. Is that easy? And you could just have and kids. Then they want to share it. and They go. This is what I came up with. And some of them are serious. Some of them are silly. So what? This next one you'll use. So it's called the cell phone graphic organizer. So I go, okay, you've been in an archaeological dig and you just found Henry VIII's cell phone. What would be on it? Mm. Okay, what contacts would be on there? Uh, what missed calls might you see? Like Anne Boleyn would be a missed call, <laughs> right? What text messages would you find? All right. Uh, what, what apps would he use? Well, you know that Henry VIII's using Tinder. You know he's doing that, <laughs> right? And the, so the kids talk about that, right? So they like. So that's a really, really fun one. They like that one, okay? This one is called the Body Parts Graphic Organizer. Head, interpretation of thoughts, ideas, and dreams a person may have. So it's like a character analysis, right? Mouth, quotes that person gave. Spine, what were his character traits? Legs and arms, examples of works and deeds. Heart. Examples of family and close personal relationships. Feet. Two reasons this person is significant in history. Is that a neat one or what? That's awesome. Huh? I, I love it. And what I what I really like about that cell phone one, one, it's obviously gonna have instant buy-in with the students because right. it's it's tapping into their wheelhouse. But it's a perfect example of one that requires them to have that basic level of understanding of the content, but really pushes them to think higher level. Them analyzing and trying to synthesize what apps would this person in history sure, have requires sure. so much insight into the curriculum and so much creative thinking. So I'm going to, Matt, the uh, asking about the objectives, they're all different. So we've kind of hit that. So I'm going to steal your question, then you can, you can take my next one. Um, so when your students are doing these different graphic organizers, just what is your, what is your classroom typically look like in terms of the, what the students are actively doing? Is this typically independent? Is it typically partners? Are they using resources that you provide? Are they allowed to use other resources? What does that learning environment look like in the student's perspective? Well, that's the easiest question you've asked all day. The answer is yes, uh, because because they do all that, right? Like, uh, I'm going to give you one more. Famous person's desk. So I give them a picture of a desk, and it's the night before Aaron Byrne and Alexander Hamilton's stool. 
and you're on, uh, and so now you're on Alexander de- uh, Hamilton's desk. What would be on there? All right. So I've already given them information, uh, websites, articles, YouTube clips. I never show a full movie. All right. And so, yeah, but if they want to pull something up, I go, hey, I'm one of those teachers. I go, hey, wiki it. You see, you know, the wiki box that comes up in Google that has great information. You don't have to read very much. Right. These kids aren't, aren't history majors. They took the class because they have to. Right. So so I just give them the stuff. Right. And so and I say, go for it. And then they're like, OK, you know, we'll do this. And so but it makes them synthesize that information. And then you go back, wrap around and go, OK, how does this apply to the objective? Well, this, this and this. And, and then the kid feels super smart, right? Because he knew it. And that's pretty fun. Absolutely. So I guess in, in your position, right, you are witnessing the kids going through one of these creative graphic organizers. What do you find yourself um, and your role being most specifically during that class period? I'm a facilitator, uh, uh, really. Um, the, to put it in education jargon. I'm the guide on the side on this. I do that a lot. I'm not a big lecture guy, although I love telling stories and it's hard not to lecture when you're a history teacher. But when they're doing this, you know, uh, especially if they're working in partners, I'm like, okay, what are you guys doing? And they're like, well, this is kind of my idea. I'm like, whoa, don't tell me anymore. I want to know what the final product is. That sounds cool. All right. Or like, hey man, what do you guys think? Uh, I don't know, man. I think you guys might be on the wrong track, but here's the thing. Just because I say it's wrong, it may not be wrong. You know, roll with it. Let's see what happens. All right. And so, but sometimes I'll do, okay, guys, everybody stop, stand up. You want to talk to two people and I want you to give them your elevator pitch. You got 30 seconds, go. And then they talk, and they, 30 seconds, like, okay. And then I, you know, hit a horn. Okay, go to somebody else. Give me your elevator pitch. Okay, sit down. Did you come up with any new ideas? Yeah. Joe had an awesome idea. David had an awesome idea. I might steal it. So then they start doing that. And I go, okay. Elevator pitch, and then they get up, they move around again, and so there's a lot of that scaffolding, and you know, and uh, what do you call it? What's what's the the term? I can't think of what it is, but you're you know, you're, you're like checker checkerboard. There it is, checkerboard, and so you get a lot of that sometimes too. Just all depends on the activity. The big thing is, is when you ask kids to do something creative, allow them to talk about the creativity because that's what they want to do. Absolutely, I, I I'm glad you use the guide on the side terminology because I. I'm not a big fan of that, but you painted the picture of how you're not the guide on the side. You're the guide smack in the middle of the classroom because you're asking questions. It's so important to have those questions prepared. They could be simple, but knowing what you're going to go around and ask them during the activity. And I love what you said about giving them opportunity to share their creative ideas and steal them. You know, steal them. That's such a that's such a great um, piece of advice. So. If you were to think about one of these graphic organizers that maybe is a little bit newer to you or thinking back to after the first time you used one of them, what advice do you have for yourself or for others to implement these more successfully the first time? Mm. Hmm. I don't know, because here's the thing, man. You know, I, I mean, okay, everything you do in your classroom from 8 a.m. to 3.30 is purposeful, all right? So if you go, that cell phone graphic organizer sounds great. I'm going to put it in my lesson tomorrow. And you have no idea why you're doing it, then don't do it. You you have to understand that there, there's a reason behind everything I do, all right? Like uh, I'll have kids do predict the ending, and we'll, we'll talk about a story. And I go, okay, what, what do you think is going to happen now? 
And then I give them some indicators and I give them some questions. How did it start? How bad was it? What did the people do? Uh, how many people died? That's that's my black death one. All right. And so, but the thing is, it has to be purposeful. So just because it's shiny and it's pretty doesn't mean you pick it up and use it. All right. So your first year, let's face it, guys, all you're doing is surviving. All right. You're, you know, sometimes it's not even a day ahead. It's an hour ahead. All right. You don't have the content knowledge. All right. So you're just you're having to pick that up. All right. Don't be afraid to sometimes just say, man, today we got to do a couple of ed puzzles and you got to do, you know, and you got to do just something else. You know, that that's basic. Allow yourself that that room for growth. What one of the things that's really cool about Google Classroom is it allows you go to go back and reuse those lessons the next year. I do that every year, guys, and I look at it and I go, was that a good lesson? And now I read it, I go, I bored myself. I don't know how the kids got through it. Or man, I home run that bad boy. I can't wait to teach that again. And so it's the continuing of looking at lessons, reevaluating lessons, thinking about new ways to do that. But the my my biggest advice then would be make sure that it's a purposeful and then give yourself some latitude those first couple of years where you're trying to get your teacher legs underneath you. I, I love that. I love that, that you hit on. It's got to be purposeful because I feel like now, especially education is becoming very, uh, bells, very much bells and whistles of things that look cool. And I, and I always ask teachers, what are you trying to get out of this? How is this going to make the learning better for your students? Because a lot of times you can, I mean, you're talking about taking kids to Germany, you're talking about VR, and you hit us with graphic organizers. And I love that because you you shared something so simple mm-hmm. to really hit on the fact that it's not about those bells and whistles. So I want to transition into our, our last section uh last portion of the show our exit okay. ticket uh three questions or f- i'm sorry four questions from matt and i um, okay. so the first question is what is the best thing a teacher can do to make a student's school experience better um you got to know them at the end of the year i give away uh, uh so my first year um uh, y- you can give away awards the best in each class so i i went in with 20 names and my principal says, sorry, you can't do that, man. You only get six. I go, well, that's crap. That's not fair. Uh, screw it. I'm going to go ahead and create awards for every kid. I want you to try to do that sometime when you teach 116 kids and see if you can come up with an individual award for each kid because that'll tell you if you know your kids. All right. Something funny that happened in the school year, something interesting about that kid, if they're just nice or what, or, or you know, whatever it is, if you know your kids. So I would say, uh, you got to know your kids. That's going to give them a positive experience. If they know that you, you're like, dude, Matt, you weren't here yesterday. How come? Where were you, dude? Man, we, you, Ken, you were absent yesterday. And you know what, dude? When you're here, you make my classroom better. I don't know how many times I've said that to parents, to kids. Man, dude, you make my classroom better, man. When you're not here, that's uh, I, I notice. All right. So know your kids. There's my answer. Transitioning away from what you uh, share with your kids, what, and hopefully you can narrow this down, um, 
what is the best piece of advice you've received um, for your own classroom, whether it was from a colleague, uh, maybe a supervisor, or honestly from a kid that has totally shifted your mindset in how you run your classroom? Mm. Uh, you know what? I, uh, I used, uh, I don't know if you guys noticed in my classroom, I got 17 clocks. Uh, one of my quotes is time is the only commodity that cannot be borrowed, bartered, saved, or stolen. Each second means something. So I really believe that. You know, the last couple of years, guys, I've slowed down my class a little bit. All right. Uh, I do it breakneck speed. So, and sometimes it's really, really fast. The kids say, I can't keep up. I'm like, you'll figure it out. And they eventually do. But I've actually, this year, especially because of COVID, I've really backed that off a lot. All right. And it was just because I saw kids kind of struggling. All right. Because if I don't see them every day, they can't get in that rhythm and routine. So I'd say that was probably, that's probably one thing I can think of. That's great. Uh, next question. We know the school year can go in waves. There's those times of the year, especially conferences, report cards, where things pile up, it becomes very stressful. So when we're in those moments as educators, what is something that we all need to hear that will help us power up in that moment of struggle? Mm -hmm. Got to have your tribe. If you don't have a network uh, and you're out there on an island by yourself, uh, then that's that's going to be tough. Um, I got the, uh, the teachers I went to Jordan with, uh, people that I've, I've met uh, through conferences. I'm the president of Missouri Council for Social Studies. I've met them at national conferences. I got a tribe over there. Um, Facebook groups. There's some really good Facebook groups, you know, world history teachers, uh, elementary school teachers, whatever. Um, so I, I get a hold of my tribe and I'm like, hey, man, what are you guys doing? You know, tell me something fun. All right. And they're like, uh, I mean, I did this the other day. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. Or, or you're like, hey, man, you know, uh, this kind of sucked today. And they're like, yeah, I know what you mean, man. That's happened to me, too. And sometimes you just, just want to talk about it. And you're like, you know what? I feel better now. All right. But I would say the big thing when you're in those low moments is find that tribe, people that you believe in, people that you know are good teachers that will uh, allow you some space. So you make me feel guilty about my, hey, something you don't like to teach question because you, you talk about kind of uh, using all of your time wisely and what have you. I think um, one of the things for our last question realistically is you get more and more information and inspiration from other teachers. I know you opened with that and to hear you end with that is huge. How can we continue to stay connected with what you're going and what's going on in your classroom, your experiences? What is the best way for people to be in touch and and continue to learn from you? Well, here's one thing that I'll tell you. I'm going to answer your question as succinctly as I can. But let's talk about COVID. Because right now people said, oh, man, we're doing all this stuff online, blended learning. Man, you got to get all incorporate all this technology. Guys, this year I'm using less technology than I ever had. Less. All right, because it's about student relationships. If it's th this is what COVID's taught me. I, I got a kid out with COVID. Uh, you think if for two weeks I'm going to make that kid log in every day and do every assignment? I'm not doing that. You know, I'm exempting those grades. You know, because that kid may not have the best internet connection. He needs to be at school, right? So, what I would say is is that you know. Technology is a great thing and it's really cool and it's fun to be innovative and creative. But this year, guys, my creativity is with my kids, you know, connecting with those kids. Because right now we're on a hybrid schedule. I see them two days a week. 
right? Man, I got to make sure I'm making connections. That it's important when they're in my classroom that it's fun, all right? That it's engaging, that they understand that, hey, Dr. Olin's class, man, you know, it's hard, but you know what? Well, we do a lot of fun things in there too. And so I would, I would end with, man, don't get caught up with all the, all the technology. Find those pieces that you enjoy, all right? Find pieces that kids like, all right? And use that. That's what I would tell you. Well, Brett, this, this interview has just been unbelievable. This conversation with you is, is really blowing my mind. Um, I, I personally cannot wait to go back and edit the show to listen to everything that you said again. And I think this hopefully will be one of those episodes where our, our viewers and listeners will go back and, and, and watch and listen again because you hit on so many important pieces um, throughout. We really bounced around, I think, in a positive way because we hit on a lot of important topics. So I really appreciate your time. Your kids are clearly super lucky to have you. Oh, and are, are super blessed to, to be able to participate in your class. So um, as, as we get out of here, I just want to remind our, our viewers and our listeners, uh, please subscribe to this podcast if you have not already. Uh, Rhett a couple times talked about uh, having your tribe. And our tribe is small right now, but we are really trying to grow PowerEDUUp.com to be that tribe for every educator. So please become a free member if you haven't already. You can connect with Rhett, Matt, and myself there. Um, you can ask questions and engage in the forums um, to share your content and share your ideas. Uh, please uh, also follow us on our social media. Everything is Power EDU Up. Uh, we we love connecting with with all educators from wherever, teaching what whatever, and working with whoever. So thank you all for listening. This has been an outstanding episode. Rhett, thanks again. We look forward to talking to you soon. And Matt, why don't you take us out of here? As uh, this episode powers down, hopefully we leave you feeling extra powered up today. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. And uh, again, Rhett, thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys.